From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Welcome to Needle Exchange, conversations on the art of thread. Sally Wilson is a UK-based mixed-media artist whose work has to be seen to be believed. With a background in sculpture, Sally's work is fearless and her creative approach is unlike anything I've come across before. She seems to simultaneously create multiple pieces of work but isn't afraid to destroy the work in order to produce better pieces. Sally's career started out in one direction but a head injury gave it a dramatic turn and it left her unable to produce work for a while. This was the thing that started her on her journey into textiles and it's interesting to explore how she has adapted to the new normal and yet still been able to produce work that's truly remarkable. In many ways her work reminds me of the process that we saw with Kaz Holmes in Needle Exchange number four and I'd recommend you listen to that if you can do but obviously wait till the end of this show. And do take time to see Sally's work on her website because the pieces that she produces in textiles are only part of the story and it is a story that you need to pay attention to. You'll find more details about Sally in the show notes and I hope you enjoy the show. It's a cracking conversation and the second part of that will be available next week. If you like needlework, if you enjoy these conversations, if you can share this with one person that you know who will enjoy it, I'd be truly grateful. Thanks for your time. See you next time. Enjoy the show. So, for instance, with you, obviously, you started out doing a degree in, like, sculpture. You come from a sculptural background, don't you? Which is why your pieces are so explosive. Um, What what happens in a degree in sculpture? Oh, my God, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was 
Um, I couldn't, I wasn't very good at anything else um, school-wise. And um, I, I right. always wanted to, I just wanted to do art. Uh, and I ended up on a sculpture course, uh, which is a long story because I'd never done sculpture. Uh, and I applied for it and got on because of my drawing, because uh, I love drawing. Um, and it was the best years. Uh, and the main things I did was uh, welded metal. So um, that's really yeah. where it all started. Um, and then I sort of fell into uh, teaching. Um, I came home and thought, what am I going to do? Ended up uh, working at a sixth farm uh, and I was there for 19 years. Um, and in that time, um, I always kept doing my art. My art was really important. It was the one thing mm. that I'd come home, forget college, and I'd do my own stuff. And also I felt it um, it helped me be a good teacher as well because being active, actively doing it, helps you to process what they're doing as well, you know, and how they're working through their ideas. So it... Um, and I have my own little workshop. So I have a workshop up at my mum's where I've got my welder, uh, angle grinder, God knows what. And uh, and absolutely, oh, I loved it. Um, but through college, um, I actually, you know, with the, the uh, teaching thing, they want to send you on, God, loads of training courses. Uh, and a lot of them are right. really quite hideous and so what I did I asked them if I could do tactical training uh, as part of my training courses yearly yearly courses and um, and I picked uh, a really basic uh, city and guilds um, uh, sewing I can't even remember what it was called uh, and I did that for two I think I did it for two years um, and it gave me loads of ideas but at that time, they weren't really doing that in college. They, they weren't really doing the stitch thing until later on. Um, and then in 2005, I had a really bad head injury uh, and I broke my drawing arm very badly. And it literally just destroyed my life, really, I suppose. Uh, I had to leave my job. Because I couldn't, I couldn't remember, I couldn't remember names. I couldn't remember what I was doing. I was struggling to deal with my life, full, you know, anything to do with my life. Uh, and I went through quite a long mm. rehab with my local hospital, Pinderfields, and I was sent all over to see different specialists. Um, but I suppose the most traumatic part was all of a sudden I couldn't do art because. I'd lost my right. drawing hand. Uh, and they did lots of operations on it. And the, the surgeon said to me, um, we don't think you're going to be able to use it again because, you you know, you really have damaged it badly. I'd lost sort of feeling in uh, probably three of my me, uh, me thumb and a couple of fingers. And I thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And they, they obviously potted me up. And I thought, what the hell am I going to do? And... Uh, and I, I thought back and I started to think about the city and guilds and I thought, 
I'm going to have to start drawing on a sewing machine. That's the only way I can do it because it meant I wasn't having, I could move the fabric around, but I wasn't have to, having to do it directly. So I bought myself mm. um, a really, uh, really, really cheap Janome. I think it was Janome that I started with. Um, bought a free stitching foot. Um, and that's where, that's where it really started. And I think the first couple of images that I sent you were some of my early, uh, some of my early pieces. And literally, all it was was um, putting fabric applique on um, textures with um, with cut up wools and threads and all sorts of things like that. Uh, and I just started doing. Um, things you know things that anything that that came to mind um i couldn't draw it so i had to just basically create these pieces that it might have been about color or i did little images on them and as i got better with movement i could then improve a little bit of the drawing on it you know what i mean um but really, that was the start of textiles, you know. Although I'd done the course, I didn't really get engrossed until until something traumatic happened. How how um, like rehabbed are you now? Obviously, that was quite a long time ago. How what's yeah. your normal now? My normal is probably abnormal. Um, I'm uh, I have sort of uh, things that affect me, so I've. Uh, Severe fatigue, which affects me differently on different days. Um, I usually probably have a slot of maybe three hours where I'm probably more active and I can get my brain around things and I drive or whatever. Um, but I have quite a long period, sort of. Um, I, I, I suffer from sleep apnea. Um, I have um what's it called? I, I um my words are a little bit sometimes mixed up. I use the wrong words. When I write down mm -hmm. I miss words or a misspell or um I still have sort of things of dizziness. Uh I think one of the biggest things in I don't remember to do daily things. So I have lists all over the house and boards up remembering to wash myself, eat. I think eating is probably a big one. I forget. I don't think about eating. I love food, but I don't think think right. about it. And then I might get to three in the afternoon, I think, oh, I'm hungry, and I, and I haven't thought about it. So I have to I try very hard to write lists. Uh, my daily things, I have a, a diary that is chock full of the most stupid things like, wash hair or <laughs> you know so uh yeah it's a weird one really I I I didn't think I, th I think you have this illusion that you're going to sort of come through and you and you're going to be back to a normal thing um, and what I've realized is I'm actually a totally different person now uh and I don't I have no issues with that um I just have to deal with it in a different way that's all yeah 
My wife runs wheelchair service here and the variety of people that she meets who've gone through similar things, it's quite profound. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think half of the struggle is holding on to a version of yourself that's no longer viable. Mm. I did that for a very long time. Uh, for years, I, I couldn't cope with the person I'd become. Um, I, I have a very good... Um, doctor nurse who I go and see regularly and she she's probably been one of the best things that happened because she puts it into perspective when I go and and I'm crying I cry a lot uh and I go and talk to her she she doesn't sort of dismiss things and she doesn't sort of go oh that's silly you know um she she Mm. makes it makes it makes me realize it's acceptable I just have to know that how I lead my life is different now uh and I have to have um a lot more time to process things and uh to cope with things I suppose is the word you know I'm I'm I struggle with like me meeting new people I I I like to have someone almost like a someone next to me so uh my other half is brilliant he he met me after the head injury so he doesn't know anything else um he lives in london uh we have a great relationship um we you know at some point not at the moment but i'll travel his way he travels mine um and when i've gone into social situations he's there and he sort of props up you know when I get a bit oh my gosh he helps me to sort of work through those difficulties you know your art one of the things that struck me looking at it is there's there's such variety certainly if you look on your website you've got about nine different strands of artistic (laughs) output from drawings to sculptures to relief work but you don't like for some people, I feel like they compartmentalize their work, whereas to you, it's just the art, isn't it? You don't go, I make sculptures and I make textile work particularly, do you? You're in this sort of no. rolling process no, of I, artistic drive. I think uh, when when I was uh, first doing uh, my work, I, I was a sculptor in my head. And then I think when all this happened, um, I realized actually... Um, I just create art. I just love art in all its um, in all its forms. I love. Um, I think part of the thing because I couldn't challenge when I, when I had my injury, and then since on that rehabilitation, I realised I couldn't um, challenge myself in other ways because I were already challenged. So the art form became a way of challenging myself to do the unusual, to do the different. Um, But I love doing all sorts of things and I get bored very easily. So the reason I sort of combine things, I like to combine uh, textiles with drawing. I like to then create sculptural forms. Um, And the other thing I tend to do is when when I start an idea, I'll probably produce four or five works from it that are all in different forms 
Um, and I think that's my way of control. It's being able to, because I can't control my life. I've got to control something. So I can control what comes from that. And I like to then develop something through um, stages and into different art forms. Uh, and a, like mm. a project might take me a year, you know. So, um, for instance, I did a, a set of works that were London-based because obviously uh, of where Andy lived. Um, and I did a lot around Shepherd's Bush Green and I did some in Piccadilly. And literally I did, I think it probably took me over a year, I did about five pieces that were everything from drawings, textiles, sculptural work, um, and a lot of them... Um, interrelate into you know um bringing them together uh into works that had mm. all that in them and do you find that it say with those pieces do they happen simultaneously or do you do a drawing which then makes you think about a textile piece or is the the crossover period smaller than that like are they all happening at the same time or does one follow another uh, I start everything from drawings. I love I love drawings. So I, I, everything that I do is drawing-based to start with. Um, usually I'll start on one piece, but then as I'm creating that piece, other ideas are starting to pop into my head. So I, I write notes. I do little sketches. A lot. Half of my, um, the beginnings of my work, are, I have a little note set of notebooks and literally all they are are just uh, line drawing pieces and I've got hundreds of little pieces of paper where I've drawn a quick sketch on it and that then will be put there until I finish that one piece and then I start the next so I, I don't tend to do uh, more than one piece at a time but the ideas are there and and obviously that's how they develop uh, the way that I sort of begin my process is I, <clears throat> I start with drawings I go out and photograph I'll sit and do studies uh, on site um, I then um, start researching on the internet looking at images uh, photos anything like that and I build up um, files of for a particular uh, scenario or piece um, and, and then what I do is that if, if I haven't got enough, I'll then go back to the site or uh, in the case of uh, some of my pieces, go to a particular museum or, you know, so I'm, I, I like first-hand information. I, I, I think that is the key to all that I do. Um, and I think without that, I, I, I would struggle with it, I think. And it's a form of documentary by the looks of it, looking at some of the themes yeah. that you've covered. You're, yeah. Are you just, are they sort of objective observations? Or, for instance, you did a, a series of pieces about Brexit, which to me is, yeah. in, you know, that's a politically charged phrase from the get-go. Yeah. So are you saying something or are you just providing an observation? I think it's more of an observation uh, or it's a more about my vision on that. So it, it's a difficult one. I did um, a piece about um, Jimmy Savile and who was the other guy? 
Uh, and it went down very badly, to be honest. No, no I, I think <laughs> I tried to put it into a few exhibitions, and literally, I mean, I'd done it, I'd done it in a, a roundabout sort of way. So I'd done it. It was a, it was um, a stitching, you know, and it had children's toys on it. And I used the idea of, um, I used two dogs, literally. And, and the storyline through it. Uh, and funnily enough, nobody uh, wanted to take it on and exhibit it. And right. I think that that always, I think, like with the Brexit uh, or with COVID, I did quite a bit with COVID. Um, and the funny thing is, I think sometimes when, when you do what is current or what is happening, what I find is, there are pieces that um, galleries and uh, don't seem to want to deal with. It, it, it's almost like it's too, um, maybe it's too in the in your face. I don't know. Um, so I I do play with current ideas, um, but unfortunately, all the all those are actually still in my house <laughs> and are still. <laughs> uh, sat there because it, it's like um, nobody wants to deal with them. Whereas the pieces where I deal about deal with almost my upbringing, the environment around me, um, London, or you know um, nature, which is a massive one for me. Uh, funnily enough, that <clears throat> everybody likes them. You know, it's. Um, uh, as soon as you go down the yeah. political or the uh, there seems to be a a little bit of a block, I think. It's like they need a cooling off period or something. They need to know that it's okay to talk about these things because otherwise yeah, they don't want to kind of put yeah. a foot wrong. Yeah. Um, I, it, I think I mean, it's that thing that I, and- I wanted to sort of almost put out my view on something Um but do it creatively. Um, but mm. I, I get the feeling that it is not, uh, it's almost a few de- years down the line. Maybe if I then resubmit, maybe it will take on a different, uh, who knows, we'll find out, won't we, in a few years' time. My biggest problem is that everything that I do takes a long time. Most of the places where you would exhibit have a a deadline, so they go. This must be pre- this must have been produced in the last two years, or this, you know, there's always a deadline. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my big, you know, if you're dealing with sort of galleries or big exhibitions, um, I I am literally buggered because most of my work has <laughs> taken a year to create. Um, and then by the time I've created it and and I'm looking for places to exhibit, um, I've passed the deadline. I'm I'm not, you know, uh, it's not current anymore, you know, which which is difficult. So they want new work, but it has to be about old news. Yeah, probably. Yeah, or it's just the fact that you've created. I think they think that it's um, uh, that's part of your past. Um, but in my mind, all my, you know, my work isn't, 
I'm not commercial. Uh, I can't be commercial because uh, I I struggle with um, day to day, and I I don't deal with my own ability to survive on my own very well. So to be able to become commercial, you have to be savvy and you have to keep up with things. Um, and so I'm not, I can't plow out work for the sake of plowing out work. The work I create is created for my own sanity. Let's talk about the Royal Cloak, the third place yeah. winner in our yes. uh, prize competition. Congratulations. Yes. One thing that's nice, particularly with this podcast, is when I put it on YouTube, I have like big pictures of the work. And so yeah. if people are listening, I'd encourage them to go and have a look because I don't think that, I mean, if you can explain the work, that would be fantastic. I think people need to see it because it is truly phenomenal piece of work. <laughs> can you talk me through it? Yes. Uh, it started, um, I started studying um, the shoe bill um and i actually did a piece uh for the hand and lock um uh competition um and i found out i sort of researched the shoe bill in detail and it's the an absolutely amazing bird um so i created this uh cloak uh to almost celebrate it so uh, you have the obviously the the main area on the top, which I can't think of the word for it, uh, which is a, a <laughs> crest. Uh, and on the crest, mm -hmm. you've got uh, a catfish, which is what the shoe bill uh, eats. Um, and then as you come out onto the wings, on one side it has all the all the animals that are uh, a part of um the landscape that the shoebill lives so zebras and um uh, giraffes and that all sort of is what on one side and they're all uh and, and the shoebill is actually flying uh above the animals and then on the other side um is the hippopotamus which um i read that where the shoebill uh, feeds in the marshlands, um, a hippopotamus inadvertently pushed the fish towards the shoebill. So they actually act <laughs> as um, their survivors, which is brilliant. They actually create their, the, the environment for the shoebill to feed. Um, and then I think, uh, the, I think there was a, a whale on it uh, as well and the whale uh, is there because the shoebill has got the nickname whale of the land or something like that so sort of through <laughs> the design itself you actually get the story uh, of the shoebill which is something that I really like doing in all my work um, I don't do just a picture I will have uh, maybe numerous uh, images, main images, uh, details, and then there's usually writing within it, which goes back or it gives uh, information about the past and the present uh, and so on. 
And did that come to you as a fairly fully formed idea? Like, I mean, A, what was it about the shoe bill that drew you in the first place? But then do you get an idea and then does the research inform the actual execution of it? Or was it fairly formed when you got there? I was actually looking for, uh, when I started looking for an idea, I wanted a creature, some sort of creature. Um but I, I, I don't like uh, necessarily necessarily beautiful. I like something that's got character. And when I saw the shoe bill, I thought, oh, my God, that is amazing. I've never, ever seen anything like it. Um, and that started um, my, me, you know, I think I got three or four different creatures uh, that I looked at. And then I started to research them. And as soon as I start to research shoe, the shoe bill, uh, the information and the background to it was absolutely amazing. And I thought, I've got to do this. This is, you know, um, creating wings and things like that. Uh, when I did the actual 3D piece, uh, I think that was probably one of the reasons I chose it. Um, but... Uh, I also felt that I hadn't, because my hand hadn't worked for so long and uh, it gradually improved over a, a few years, um, I hadn't done any hand stitching for years um, and never really anything of significance. I think probably when I were a kid, my mum used to get me to sew a lot. Um, I used to make little purses and God knows what. And I thought, I, I, I would like to do, I would love to try hand stitching. Uh, and so the um, the coat, the, the cloak was the first thing I've ever hand stitched um, properly, you know, done a, done a piece that really um, tried my patience. Uh, so I tried all sorts. I obviously did um, on it, it's got, free machine embroidery um so that's so i did that the animals and things like that i literally draw with the with stitch um so that were quite intense and then the hand stitching um i learned loads of new <laughs> stitches that i'd never even knew existed <laughs> i also um tried gold work which is bloody hard that's all i can say um I'd like to do some more, but um, I think it's the the one thing I would say I am not is uh, I'm a perfectionist in that I want something to look good, but in terms I I I would say I'm a bodger. So <laughs> when you when you look closely, you. You probably don't want to look closely. It's one of those where uh, <laughs> also at the front, the front always looks, you know, I, I, I manage to do things. So everything looks how I want it to look. And it has to be to a certain th thing. But on the back, um, I quite like the backs uh, because they are just, they're like me, the, the, the chaotic like my life, I suppose. So I, I, I suppose it is a little bit like me, although I don't look as perfect on the outside as on the inside. <laughs> but the work is uh, pretty similar to me, really. Yeah. 
I think we have to, uh, you sort of downplay yourself a little bit here because I love the fact that it was the first time that you did hand embroidery and then you went and won the hand and locked textile art prize with said hand embroidery. But also yeah. the fact that not only did you make the cloak, but in that instance, you made the bird as well and you gave it a fully, you know, embroidered yeah. beak and everything. I mean, I think yeah. that's, this is one of the things that I'm impressed about is that you're, background in sculpture clearly just sets you up and, and means that you can have like limitless creativity yeah I I, I think uh, I mean at the moment uh, I have uh, a couple of pieces uh, that I've had on the go for, for a, quite a long time and they are both um, bigger big drawings um, on board um, textile is starting to creep into them again um, but I think, I think my, 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 I think I always want to go to the sculpture or want to go to relief work at some stage. So whatever I do, flat work, um, there always, I always feel like there's an, another piece that come, wants to come from it that is maybe somehow three dimensional. Um, it's funny, isn't it, how you, your ideas uh my ideas don't stay in one place i sort of start one thing and i think oh no i should be doing that you know and i feel like that's something that comes across when you look at some of the work again thinking about for instance the brexit series and thinking about the way that you use sort of found objects and unorthodox objects in the work it feels as though you have an idea and then new inputs will just come along and there's a certain amount of you just go well I'm sure I can make that work and you like you say you kind of bodge it because you don't yeah. go oh I can't include that thing like there's no barriers to entry with your work I think one of the things that what I do do a lot is I tend to cut things up a lot so I, I will start a piece um and within you know within days um or, or even maybe a couple of weeks, uh, I think, oh my god, that 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 it doesn't fit fit the composition I thought it was going to do. Or, and so I am very, very um, brutal. I suppose the word is I'm brutal with my work. So <laughs> I can uh, I I had a piece that I did uh, that was uh, there was an old lady, um, and it had uh, my mum flying in it and. Uh, I've got uh, uh, I've got spiders and things like that and all sorts of things that related to it and uh, it took me oh it probably took me about three months and the other day I thought I really don't like that piece and so it's now become I think it's about 10 pieces of fabric that have all been cut up which then may at some point become something else um and I think that's probably the biggest part for me is I'm not um, I'm not very sentimental. There's very there's very few pieces where I actually I actually don't like a lot of my work. So um, I will I will live with it for a while, and then if if I get to a point where I start to see the mistakes and the things that didn't work, I then will deconstruct de and start again so I've got quite a few things where I photographed 
they they were pieces but have now disappeared into bags and metal containers and god knows what um so i do sort of lose a lot of what i've created um through uh destruction <laughs> i suppose <laughs> is the word Thanks for joining me on another needle exchange. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange. That's N-W-E-D-L dot exchange with any thoughts, comments, or feedback. And if you want to keep up with all the news, sign up to the needle exchange mailing list at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash needle exchange. See you next time. for joining me on another needle exchange i hope you enjoyed the show i'd love to hear from you so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange that's n-w-e-d-l dot exchange with any thoughts comments or feedback and if you want to keep up with all the news sign up to the needle exchange mailing list at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash needle exchange see you next time <laughs>